0: Father, as we come together to study your word, we thank you for your word that is a, a lamp unto our feet that um, Lord, transforms and renews our mind. And we need that every single day. And so we thank you for the opportunity we can gather together to study your word, to be encouraged, to know you more, to understand your will and for our lives, Lord, and and have the filth of this world purified out of us through your through the spirit, through your Holy Spirit, and through the truth of your word, and for you to fill us up, Lord, with with good and encouraging things, and I pray you would do that again. And Lord, we come before you as your children, and we call upon you as our Father, and we ask, Lord, for for Deborah, who's in the ICU unit with uh, a severe case of malaria. She's fighting for her life, Lord. Um, We pray that you would heal her. I pray that her body would begin to respond to the uh, um, anti-malarial medicines that they're giving her, um, Lord, that her kidneys would be healed and that they would begin to function again on their own. Um, Lord, we, need, we, we know that she loves you and she serves you and she desires, Lord, to do your will. And um, So we pray, God, that you would bless her with a healing, with a miraculous healing. And also that you continue to heal Beverly as she's been sick with malaria as well. You restore her. And Lord, I know that um, with Ann and Deborah leaving and then Bev there overseeing a lot of other things that that those two women have been overseeing, that there's just the extra weight, the extra burden that that she has with them being gone and then her being sick as well, Lord. So I pray that you would send people um, around her to love her, to lift her up, to help carry that burden. And we play for the uh, Pulse Church in Florence, Lord. We thank you for that uh, work that you've done there in the last two years through Omar and the rest of the leadership there. Uh, we thank you for Omar's heart to serve you, to love you, to teach your word, Lord, to tell people about you. And um, Lord, as he's homesick today, um, recovering from COVID, I pray you'd heal his lungs, Lord, that you'd bring him to a speedy recovery, and that he would um, be able to be back in the pulpit leading the church and shepherding his people there, your people, Lord. And we know others in our own our own church as well, Lord, who have um, come up with COVID in the past, and some who even have it now. And uh, there's lots of illness and disease out there, Lord. This world is full of it because of of our sin, because of man's sin. And yet, Lord, you redeem us and you restore us. And so, God, we thank you that you are a healer, and we pray for those in our own congregation, Lord, who have become ill with uh, various illnesses and sicknesses, including including the COVID, and we pray that you would heal them, Lord. We love them. We don't want to see them suffer, and we know you don't either. So do a healing work, and may your, uh, your kingdom be built through this, Lord, as you glorify, you're glorified and do good in, in all things and through all things. And Lord, help us to remember that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Psalm 25. We're currently going through a, a verse-by-verse study of uh, the book of Psalms. Uh, if you're new here, uh, we welcome you. Uh, thank you for coming, uh, and uh, we're going through Psalm 25, um, and I want to read it to begin with, so let's just read the, I'll read the whole psalm together, it's 22 verses, and, and you can follow along. In verse 1, uh, David is the uh, author of this psalm, and um, if you have a study Bible or some of the subnotes, it says that David's, this is David's, this is David's confidence in prayer. And and you see that you see that he's extremely confident in prayer, and and I love that because there's lots of times that I think that we come to God in prayer and we we lack confidence. <laughs> you know, we're kind of like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know you're the one that I can come to, and you have the ability to do this. But sometimes our doubt is rooted in just ourselves, not in Him. But like, I know He would help, um, but why would He help me? And so we we have issues of confidence, but David. Comes confidently in prayer, and he really is praying for God, it says, in a time of affliction. And we, we see this in the text. And so David writes, and he says, to begin with, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And, and when you study that, I'm really excited to go through that first verse here. Um, so it's a cool thing, to lift up our soul to the Lord. And he says, O oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed, lest those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Verse for show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Teach me in truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. And so as David first cries out to God, saying he's, he's, he's trusting in him, he's lifting his soul to him. David's next step here in, in it, and we'll talk about it as we go through it, but as he asked for the Lord to teach him in the midst of this affliction, he's really crying out for wisdom. And I think that's a key thing that we don't often think about in the midst of our affliction when we pray and we cry out for, what are we asking God for? And, and, and David here is saying, God, give me wisdom. He says, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from, from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth. And there's a contrast, right? Lord, remember your mercies and not my sin. Do not remember the sin, sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. And that's where hope is at. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. I think that's a very profound verse, and I just don't want to skip over it. And I really don't understand why there's not a selah here. You know, a lot of times in Scripture, in the Psalms, there's a selah where it's like, stop, ponder, meditate on that. And, and when you think about that statement, it's, it's the gospel message. Good and upright is the Lord, speaking about who, who he is, his nature. Can't help himself but to be this way, because that's who he is. And it says, therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. That's grace. And when, when, you, when you think about God in the context of sinners, especially when you look through the eyes of unbelieving world today, they, they, don't, they think God and sinners and wrath and judgment, right? And even when we're in the midst of our sin, we can wrongly believe that it's like, oh no, God's just waiting to get me. i got to hide from Him. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When Adam and Eve ate uh, uh, of the forbidden fruit, we know that they tried to hide themselves from God because they, they believed that God was going to come. And smite them. But he says here, Scripture, and, and I love this because this is Old Testament stuff. And lots of people will say to you maybe at times, I can believe in the God of the New Testament, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a God of grace. But that Old Testament God, and, and they're one and the same. And we know that, that you can't have one apart from the other. And it says here, a God, he's a God of grace, a God of mercy. Why? Because he teaches sinners in the way. He just doesn't leave us to ourselves. He just doesn't let us travel down the path of, to, to the path of judgment. He teaches us in the way. He shows us what is right. The humble, he guides in justice, and the humble, he teaches his ways. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secrets of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. And and I love that part as well, because as God's kids, God, God lets us know his secret things, the things that... That, that He's going to do in the future that the rest of the world doesn't know, that they don't believe. God's told us. He doesn't leave us in the dark. My eyes, verse 15, are toward the Lord, for He shall pluck my feet out of the net. Again, it's where are we looking in the midst of this distress? Where are we looking in the time of affliction, time of danger? Is, is our eyes on the Lord, or are they fixed on the tribulation? Are they fixed on the trouble? Are they fixed on the danger? And David's saying, I'm looking to the Lord because I'm trusting Him to do this. And what David realizes and what we need to realize in the time of our own affliction is, is not nothing. There's we can't, we can't fix it on our own anyway. We have to look to the Lord. We have to let Him be the one to protect us. And so in verse 16, he says, he says turn yourself to me and have mercy on me for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive me all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of their troubles. Amen. <clears throat> now, one of the first things I want to point out is we've been going through these psalms now for a little while, and we'll continue to go. I think we're going to go through the first book, three different books in the psalms, somewhere around Psalm 40. I don't know exactly where it's at. But, but we still have a ways to go before we finish this study uh, for the through the psalms and go into something else but the first thing I want to point out is that this one is different from from most of the most all of the psalms um, that we've read about and will read about and that this psalm is what's it's it's an acrostic and I think you guys know what that is but it, it in in it's an acrostic in the sense that each verse when you look at the, the original Hebrew with the, with which the language it was written in is that each verse begins with the successive letter of the alphabet in other words, with the English alphabet, we have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And so each verse in the Hebrew begins with that first and second and third and so on. And there's, there's, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 22 verses here. There's some slight variations as you really study out and look at it, but, but it's, it's a poem in the true sense. And, and David writes this psalm, And it's a unique poem, if you will, because he describes life uh, as an uncertain journey. Has anybody ever come to that same conclusion about life? That it's an uncertain journey. I mean, if, if you try to wake up tomorrow and plan your day, what you know is that your plans will probably not be the way that they end when you start in the beginning especially if you're allowing for God to guide you and move you. And there's an uncertainty, but there's also an adventure in that uncertainty, is that? Lots of times when we talk about uncertain, we, we think about things that can cause us to fear or things that can cause us to feel trouble. But there's also a sense of, of, of adventure and excitement in this uncertain journey that we, that we call life. And the thing that David talks about it is in this, in this chapter, in this, this psalm, is that as he's describing life as an uncertain journey, what he's saying is, is we can't successfully make it by ourselves. We can't go through this life that's uncertain by ourselves. We won't make it. We won't make it. And when we consider that this life, that, that journey, this, this journey of life is filled with times of joy, right, but also times of difficulty and so many other things in between those two, uh, we should see that this journey is an important process that matters a lot to God. And that's what David's talking about in this psalm as well. That these, these days uh, when we don't exactly know what's going to take place from, from one hour to the next or from one week to the next or one month to the next. And, and, and if you look back on your life, you can reflect on that and see how things have changed in ways that you never thought that they could. And, and, and you understand that a little bit more that you live. But in, in, in this process, it's something that matters a lot to God. And there's a work that God's doing. And this journey that David is writing about is really represented by key words. And I want to highlight, if you're taking notes, maybe you can, maybe you can underline them in your, own, in your own Bible. But this journey is represented by the word way to begin with, which is used four times. First in verse 4, then in verse 8. 9 and 12, but also by the word paths, right? And when you think about a journey, we talk about the way that we go or the path that we would travel down. And the word path or paths is used in verse 4 also and then again in verse 10. And in Elidus, we see David verse, crying out to God, right? In verses 4 and 5 for wisdom. And, and he makes um, wisdom, he cries out for wisdom as he's making these decisions in really these times of need and these times of uncertainty that, that he's facing as he's going through life. And, and um, as we see David crying out to God, we also need to see that it's with humility. And David speaks about humility in this psalm a few different times. He points out three different times specifically. and And because humility and 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 we think about following god and through this journey of life that can be very uncertain is that if you're not if we don't have humility if we're not exercising humility if we're not. If we're not living with humility, we're going to go, as the Bible says, in a way that seems right to us, and we're not going to be led by God. We will be doing it in our own and not doing it with God. And that comes back to the place where we see that we need God as we travel through this life. And and David speaks about humility first in verse 7, then in verse 11, and then also finally in verse 18. And he cries out, Humility, and he does so in this context of pointing out that he's a sinner. He's saying, I'm a sinner who does not deserve your help, God. I want to walk with you. I know I need you. I, I, I'm in this state of, of sinfulness, but I cry out to you, God, because you're merciful. And, and that's the nature of God. He doesn't, he doesn't appeal to God on his own righteousness. He appeals to God based upon God's nature. And so David calls out to God, for help on the basis of God's goodness and on the basis of God's mercy. Now, even though this psalm is like many others that we've read, where David is in a time of trouble, right? Because we've seen that over and over again in some of the psalms. And we've connected some of the 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 historical references to the Psalms that David has written, and we look at these specific times of trouble where David calls out for help. But this one's a little bit different, and I I like this one because it's an encouragement, I think, for us to do the same. It's a bit different in that David points us to three different reasons for why God is the only one he can can turn to, the only one that we can, can turn to, and the only one that we can put our confidence in as we travel down this road of life, this this uncertain path called life. So three, three different reasons for why God is the only one that we can turn to. And if you're taking notes this morning, this is going to be how we break it down. So the first reason for why we, 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 can, we should only turn to God, we can only trust in God, we can only put our confidence in God, is because the help we, we need can only come from God. Talked a little bit about that, um, about, about that in regards to communion. He's faithful. He has what we need. You know, so many other things that there are in this world that we can turn to that, that will never meet the needs that we have. And, and, and it's a deception that the enemy wants to put be before us um, throughout no matter what we're going through in life. And the help. So David reminds us the help we need can come only from God. That's the first thing. The, the second thing that David points out here is that, that God can be trusted. That's a very short. Statement, but it's a powerful statement. God can be trusted. He can be trusted. And then, lastly, the third thing that David speaks to in regards to traveling down this path of life and the uncertainties that's in it and why we can put our trust or our confidence in God. And it's because God is the one who brings us the victory. God's the one who brings us the victory. We are overcomers, we're told, because of Him. And I love that because that's one of the secret things that we're told about in the book of Revelation. That there are overcomers, those who overcome these things, who, and are those who are in Him. And so, as we look back to this psalm, I want to read the first seven verses. This is the first section that talks about, you know, the first reason for why. So listen to these verses now in the context of what David's speaking about. The point that he's making, that we can put our confidence in God because the help we need can only come from Him. And so David says in verse 1, "'To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul.'" And, 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 and so, so David is, is declaring um, with um, assurance, uh, and, and, but also denouncing at the same time, not only who he's going to put his trust in, but also who he's not going to put his trust in, to you alone, Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed to deal treacherously without cause. So, so God, let these who put their trust in other things and in other people and in other situations, Lord, let them be ashamed. Show me your ways, O oh Lord, and there's an instruction here for us. Teach me your path, lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. And that's a recurring theme through the Psalms and really through both the Old Testament and the New Testament in regards to um, our relationship with the Lord and, and trusting in Him, right? There's this this aspect of waiting. You can't escape that. And David will speak about it again in verse. 21, this, this waiting upon the Lord, trusting in Him, letting Him do the work, resting in Him for Him to do what He said He's going to do. Not taking matters into our own hands in, the, in, the, in those places of uncertainty where we don't see um, things happening in the way that we would like uh, on the time frame that we would like them to happen. On You I wait all the day. Remember, O oh Lord, Your tender mercies and Your loving kindness for they are are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercies, remember me. So, here in these first seven verses is the first reason for why we can put our confidence in God and turn to Him in our time of need. And it's because He has the help that we need. Our help can only come from God. And the Bible makes it very clear that in our time of need, we can put our confidence in really one, or, one of two things. And we can think of different variations of this. You think there's some kind of spectrum to it. But really, there's only two things. The Bible says you're either to, we're either going to put our trust in God or in an idol, right? And, and even though an idol can be one of many different things, the bottom line is that an idol is nothing more than this. It's a manufactured substitute for God. It's a manufactured substitute for God that has no real power to help us. No real power to help us. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 115 as he kind of mocks idolatry in, in relationship to God. He he tells of this when he says, But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases, verse 3. He says, Their idols, however, are silver and gold, the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, for they do not mutter through their throats. And those who make them are like them, so is everyone who puts their trust in them. And it's this idea of having appearance of being able to do something for you and not being able to deliver. It's a manufactured thing that has No real power. It's simply a substitute for God. It's false hope. And so, because David knew that God was the only one who had the power to give him the help he needed, he said here at the beginning of the psalm, right, with all confidence, praying with confidence, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. And this is a unique statement when you begin to think about it. And it's a powerful figure of speech that David. That David tells of and in this he speaks of surrender right I see that I see submission and I see waiting upon God in this time of need with this statement and 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 I don't know about you but when I hear this I go what what are you referring to what was going on in your life at this time David the Psalms are so relatable to not only circumstances that we may find ourselves in in, in in regards to similarities, but also the feelings that come along with that, the emotions that that, that can overwhelm us in these times. And, and when you research this Psalm and try to do a, a little bit of historical context for it, there doesn't seem to be any specifically related, related instance um, to the reason for why David wrote the psalm that we can deduce or or, or or conclude distinctively. But there is a time, there is a time in David's life when he found himself in a desperate situation and his immediate response, and I love this because this is the, one of the encouraging things to me, is, is is we see that David's immediate response in this particular time of need was to turn for turn to God for help and for instruction. And the reason why I like that is because often in my life, and I, I've heard you guys express this too, is that, is that we come to God um, not immediately. Sometimes it's only after we've turned to our idols, right? These substitutes that we have to be able to deliver us or give us help in our time of need. And when, we, when those things let us down, that's where we cry out to God. And, and David, in this, this particular circumstance, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we see David immediately going to God. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't waste any time. And it tells of a time when David and his mighty men, they were living amongst the Philistines. And, and it was a time when David was right fleeing and hiding from Saul during, during that 10-year period of time. And they had the, David and his men had left their home city. They had been given a, a city of refuge by the Philistines, and it was called Ziklag. And they were allowed to live there. And, and they had been living there, David and, and his mighty men, with their, with their wives and with their children. And what they had done is David and his men went to go fight a battle, is what we're told. But on their return, they found that in their absence, that, that, that Ziklag had been attacked by another uh, enemy, by the Amalekites. So all the fighting men are gone and, 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 and there was this sneak attack on, on, on the city that they were living in, and they didn't realize it until they returned, and the, the city had been burned to the ground, and all of the women and all of the children had been taken captive, including, at that time, David's two wives. And to make matters worse... Instead of rallying behind David and going to pursue the Malachites and to reclaim their wives and get their children back, they were told in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that David's men were greatly distressed and they turned on David. They blamed David for this tragedy tragedy, and, and they spoke openly of stoning him. We're going to kill you. And so I think safe to say that this was not a, a very promising situation for David, yet David did in that moment exactly what we read of here in this psalm. As we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 6-7, through 7, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Having come back to the city and found it burned to the ground, all the women and all the children being taken captive by these Amalekites, and then his men turning on him, It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord and in doing so, David called upon Abiathar, the high priest, to bring the ephod of God so that he could ask God what he should do. And the point is, is even though that David had been through some hard times in the past, I think this had to have been one of the most difficult and troublesome times in David's life. If you will, maybe even the low spot in his life during this 10 years when he was running from Saul. And we know they had much trial, much affliction. And he would later on as well. But this was like the low of the lows. The bottom of the bottom. And for in that moment, it appeared that David had lost everything. To him it appeared that he'd lost everything. His wives, his children, and his mighty men who had been by his side after all these years. In the midst of his, in the midst of his running for his life from Saul living in the wilderness. And in, in that moment, what we see is even though it appeared that he'd lost everything, David instantly, instantly without a beat, he strengthened himself in the Lord, meaning he found his encouragement by looking up to God. Now, I'm sure most of us have heard it said that when things, when things are going bad, what? Try looking up. When things are looking bad, try looking up. And one of my favorite biblical reminders of this is with the prophet Isaiah. I referenced this same passage of Scripture last week. But in this context, it's a little different because in Isaiah chapter 6, it begins with Isaiah saying this. It's a very profound statement when you read what's going on and the things that follow with Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet of God, he said, in the days that King Uzziah died. And what we know is that that even even though King Uzziah was not a perfect king, he was a good king. And Isaiah is going, man, this is the, the good king has died in the days that our good king has died, he said. And in the midst of the uncertainty that came with King Uzziah's death in regards to what kind of ruler the next king would be, Isaiah went on to say, and by the way, there may be some similarities in our own lives when we look at even the power change in our, in our world today, in the United States today. And, and, and not to make it political in the sense, but guys, what are we putting our hope in? What are we putting our trust in? Who are we looking to? Because Isaiah points this out, and this is true for us. He said, in that day that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. I had the opportunity to talk to a good buddy the other day. We were on a bike ride, and we were talking about things and, and hashing it out. And, and you know, with the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, you know they had good kings. But you know what? They also had bad kings. And then they'd have a good king. And then they'd have a bad king. And they'd have a couple good kings. And then they'd have a couple bad kings. You know, through that all, the Lord was still on the throne. You know what? This nation has had presidents. They've come and they've gone. gone, And we got one now. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go too. And there's going to be another one. After that, after that, until the Lord sees fit to do whatever work he's going to do on this earth. But like Isaiah, we can say, even though it's in the days when maybe King Uzziah died, what is important? What are we looking at? The fact that the Lord's on the throne. Do we see the Lord sitting on a throne? high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Speaking of his majesty, his power, his sovereignty. In other words, even in the midst of, of uncertain and desperate times that Isaiah found himself, Isaiah, the, not just with what was going on, but, but the things that he was foreseeing. Even with looking forward to uncertainty in the future right this journey of life the uncertainties that face it that we look for look ahead and go well that could happen I see it going this way what if this what if that and that's Isaiah in the day that the king Uzziah died in the midst of uncertainty looking forward he says I looked up and I saw that God was still on the throne so if we truly desire to find help in our time of need, guys, we have to stop looking at our situation and, 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 and looking around to see what we can do, or more appropriately, to see what we can't do, right? And, and, and then look up as we lift our, our hearts, like David said, and our soul to God in order to find the strength that we need. See, and often we look for that peace, that that joy, that strength to come from the circumstances, knowing I see a little glimmer of hope down the road. Well, that's a what if as well. The what is and the certainty of things is the fact that God's on the throne no matter what if comes down the road. And I want to point out that lifting up our soul to God is something more than simply crying out to God for help. We've all prayed that prayer, right, in the time of need. Probably more times than not. God help! God, help! I've prayed that prayer, even as an unbeliever. God, help! But what David's speaking of is something more than that. Listen, this profound little verse, this this first thing, it's the act of praising. Hear this. What David is speaking of here, lifting his soul to the Lord... It's an act of praising and worshiping God as the only one who is worthy of putting our trust in Him as we, confidently, as we confidently turn to Him and ask for His help. Praise and worship. You see, when David turned to God for help, he did so by specifically asking for God's guidance. Look in verse 4. Show me your ways. And then in verse 5 where he said, lead me in your truth. And then by also asking for God's insight and understanding when he said in verses 4 and 5, what? Teach me your paths. Teach me. That's much more than just God help, right? It's surrender. It's praise. It's worship. It's this confidence... Confidently turning to God in our time of need. And in light of this, we should see that, that that David was asking God for wisdom. That as he was asking for God for wisdom, he's exampling to us exactly what we read about in the book of James, chapter 1, verse time, verse 5. When we are, when we find ourselves in trouble, go read James chapter 1. And one of the things that James talks about is right in, in the midst of of. of, of in various trials, right? James speaks about. He goes on to say that we should ask God for wisdom who gives of it, he says, liberally. Liberally. And I've been convicted of that in the last few weeks in my own lives because wisdom is not even... Praying for wisdom is one of the last things that's on my mind when I'm in the midst of trouble, uncertainty. But there's great help in praying for wisdom. And David's reasoning behind this is summed up in verse 5 when he went on to say this. He just declared it. I'll do this. Why? Because you're the God of my salvation. In other words, David's saying, I turn to you, God, because I know that you're the only one who can help me. You're the only one that can help me. And when David spoke about being led, led in truth and being taught by God, this was This was a specific, it was a direct reference to the law of Moses, which contained all of God's precepts, which contains all of God's commands. But also, we know that the law of Moses also contained all of God's promises, right? It was a covenant. And all the covenantal promises were encompassed in that. And God would say, if you keep my commands, you will be blessed. This is the blessing, and it told the people that if they were to follow God the law of Moses and that if they if they obeyed his commands then it would go well with them over and over and over again in light of this i think it's clear to see that david knew that his help was coming directly uh, that david's help from god was directly connected to him knowing god's ways and doing them do you see that god show me your ways that's where my help is at that's how i get led out of this that's how i make it through this living according to your ways receiving the blessings that you promised me knowing god's ways and doing them and i know this might seem like an obvious might seem obvious but the truth is is that when we call out when we call out for god's help it's not an act of lifting up our heart and soul and an act of praise and worship to God because when it comes down to it, if, if, if we do not do what God teaches us or what God's commanded us to do, how can that be praise? How can that be worship? In fact, there are times when we find ourselves in the place, I think, when we are in need of God's help because we've done things our way, Right? and not done things God's way. And I mention this because as David went on here in these last two verses, in verses 6 and 7, he asked for God to remember him or to deal with him in his times of trouble in accordance to his tender mercies, in accordance to his long-suffering nature, to his loving kindness. And, And again, we don't know for sure, if the specific incident tied to the writing of the psalm in regards to the historical reference, um, uh, we don't know what it is exactly. Um, We don't know if it was from external circumstances or if David had in fact got himself into this trouble that he's writing about. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, is there were plenty of times when David had called out to God for help and the trouble he was in, was the result of doing things his way. Have you guys ever been in that spot? Yeah, when you're, you're like, I got in this trouble because of something that I did. In fact, when we look back to 1 Samuel chapter 30, when the Amalekites had burned Ziklag and taken the wives and children of David and his men, we find out from 1 Samuel chapter 29 Is that David and his men were not in their city with their wives and children because they'd made an ungodly alliance. They made an ungodly alliance with Achish, who was one of the Philistine kings, and the battle that they were going to fight was with the Philistines. They had made an ungodly alliance. And so if David had not made this ungodly alliance, more than likely he and his men would have been at home and been able to defend their city against the Malachites and their attack. And this is one of the reasons for why the men wanted to stone David. They blamed him. They knew better. David knew better. And the point is this, is the help we seek to obtain from God, it's not It's not conditional. The help that we seek to obtain from God in this journey through life, it's not conditional on whether or not the difficulty that we are in is our fault or not. Isn't that comforting? Because if this psalm is directly tied to that, we could go, David, how can you rightly now call out for God to help? You're the one that got yourself into this circumstance. You made your bed, now sleep in it, right? That's not how our God is. And yet sometimes we can feel like that or even say that to ourselves or have other people say that to us. And, or, the, or the enemy comes and whispers that in our own ear. And so we don't, in an act of praise and worship, lift up our soul to God because we feel that condemnation of our sin that keeps us separated. But it tells us in Scripture very clearly that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We come to God and, and, and call upon his help, not because we are worthy of it, but because of who he is and his faithfulness. And God's help is always, guys, is always an act of his tender mercy and an act of his loving kindness. And one of the things that that reminds me of is we need to be very careful in our own judgment, in our own condemnation of others around us as we look at people and we go, why would God ever help you? Why would God ever help them? Look at what they've done. As a matter of fact, the only thing that stands in the way of receiving the help from God that we need is a refusal to come to God and to lift up our heart and to lift up our soul to Him. And that's true for anyone. That's true for us today as believers, no matter how many years you've been following the Lord, or how many days or how many hours, or even for a person who is in a state of unbelief today. The only thing that, that stands in the way uh, uh, from them receiving this kind of help in their time of need is a refusal to come to God a refusal to to praise him to worship him to trust in him to lift up your heart and soul to him and yet we see David doing this and so in verse 8 David goes on he says good and upright is the lord therefore he teaches sinners in the way the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches he teaches his way and the paths of the lord are mercy and truth and such to such as keeps his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, In these verses is the second reason for why God is the only one we can turn to, the only one that we can put our confidence in as we travel down this uncertain path called life, and it's the fact that God can be trusted. And that's what David's speaking out here. He's reminding us. He's pointing out God can be trusted. He's the one that can can give us the help that we need, but He can be trusted. And in these verses, David is reflecting, really, and meditating on the character of God, the nature of God, the person of God. And I think that this is something that we all need to do on a regular basis, but especially in our time of need. To be reminded of that. And, and, And guys, when you have friends who are going through hard things, this is the place to start with them in the midst of their discouragement as we are called as the body of Christ to edify one another, to build one another up, to encourage each other, to come alongside one another in times of need. And don't point people to anyone or anything else and give them a false sense of hope. Go remember who God is. Remember what He can do. Remember what He's done. Focus on his goodness, his kindness, his nature, his character. Here's the reason why if we're not meditating, reflecting on the nature of God who is trustworthy, then why would we even pray to him? Why would we even call out to him? So, the first thing that David points out here in verse 8 is the fact that God is what? Good and upright. He's good and upright. And in light of this, we can rest assured that everything God says and that everything that God does is right. And I know that when we see things in this world that we're a part of that is so different than the ways of God and people who are following after this world and the things of this world living in such a different way and and really coming against us and the ways of God and the things of God in an adversarial way, it can cause feelings of doubt and uncertainty to come in. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Is God really good? And we have the enemy and and those who are following after and calling the good things of God not good, evil, and calling evil good. And it can seem very confusing and not right, but God is good and God is upright and everything that he says and everything that he does is right and we can have all confidence in this life that we're living in to stand in that place and to not waver and not be moved. And we can rest assured that, that these things are true, and if we, as verse 9 points out, humbly submit ourselves to God, David tells us this, that he will teach us his ways. And this word humble in the verse 9 can also be tra- translated to the word meek, it's the Hebrew word anav, and it literally means power under control, and this is exactly what our lives are like when we're submitted to God, because the state of humility is the place where we're willing to have God teach us and have God lead us. And I love it that when people in the world come to me when I have this confidence and this assurance in God and who he is and in his ways that they are the right way, that they are the good way, that people come to me and go, how can you be so confidently assured of that? You seem so, so egotistical in your, in your thought process. Can it be this other way? Nope. You don't have an open mind? Nope. I have the mind of God. His ways are true. His ways are right. Don't be wavered by the lies and the deceptions that are out there when people go, you're just unloving. No, I'm not. Take it up with God. This is what He says. This is where I'm going to stand. And in these last days, guys, we cannot be wavered. We cannot move. We cannot be shaken in these truths from these places. Power under control. Humility. In other words, we can humbly submit ourselves to God because we can trust this, that he is not going to lead us down a path that is going to bring us into the place of judgment or into the place of deception. However, paths of deception and paths of judgment are the paths that we will be certain to travel down if we allow for anything or anyone other than God to lead us. And so in verse 11, David once again calls out for God to pardon his sin. He says, which is great. And when we, like David, come to the understanding that our sin is great, we need to consider that is more than just the amount of our sin. Okay? And I think that's definitely a qualifier. Our sin is great. Why? Because we sin a lot. But it's more than that. We must also consider this. When we think that our sin is great, we must consider who it is committed against. Our sin's great because we sinned against a holy God, a righteous God, a just God. We must consider that it is against a just and fair law, God's law, God's commands. And we must consider that it is committed by those who have been made in the image of God, us. That is no longer our nature. And when we sin against God, when our, our, our sin is great when we deny that nature by entering into that sin that God has now placed in us. And it appears this is exactly what David did as, he confe- as, as his confession here that we read is, is a response to his previous reflections on the character of God. In other words, God, this is what you're like, and I know that I'm not. My sin is great. In light of this, is evident to me that David knew that, uh, David, uh, David knew the, 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 the freedom and peace that comes from saying, Lord, I know that I'm a great sinner, but you're even a greater Savior. Isn't that an awesome thing to believe that, to live in that place? I know my sin is great, but you're a greater Savior. Grace upon grace. I humbly submit myself to you and I ask you to pardon my iniquity. So in light of this truth about God being good and in light of this truth about God being upright and willing to guide the sinner who humbles himself down this path of mercy, David then does not hesitate to put his trust in God and immediately humbles himself before God. But not not only this, but... Because as, as David went on to meditate on the nature of God, on the goodness of God, look at verse 12. He points out in verse 12 this, that the man who fears God should dwell in prosperity and, and his descendants will inherit the earth. In other words, what David is speaking to is God's plans of good, right? Beyond the uncertainty that you find yourselves in the moment. Even as you look to the future, David looking to the future, I don't know, God, but I trust you because you have plans of good, literally to give me, as it says in the book of Jeremiah, right, a future and a good hope to those who put their trust in Him, to those who seek His will. And in verse 14, it's just an extension of this thought when David says, the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear Him and He shall know and, 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 and he shall show them his covenant. And we know, I don't know the specifics of what our future holds other than eternity in heaven, but between here and there, what we know is that it's good. It's good. And this word secret is the Hebrew word soday, and it's an interesting word that refers to intimate conversation, okay? Specifically in regards to plans and purposes. And a wonderful example of this is seen in John chapter 15, verse 15, where Jesus said to his disciples, hear this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. God's plans of good. And the point is this, guys, is we walk with, as we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, okay, walking with God, walking with the Lord in the light of his word, which is a lamp to our feet, a guide to us, we develop a close friendship with Jesus when we walk with him in the light of his word. And we better understand his ways and we, we come to know more and more in an intimate way what he is like. And in doing so, we learn that God who is good and, and who is for us, we, we learn that He can be, as David points out here, we learn that He can be trusted. Not only is He he's the one that provides our help for us, but we can trust Him to do so as we walk with Him. And when He helps, He does it with mercy and truth, or as the NIV declares here in this verse, with love and faithfulness. He helps us with love and faithfulness. And so in the last verses, verse 15, David goes on and says, "'My eyes are ever toward the Lord, "'for He shall pluck my feet out of the net.'" Turn yourselves to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been enlarged. Bring me out of my stress. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I trust in you. So he's trusting in you again, but he says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. In other words, the way I live is important. And he goes, even in this, I will wait for you. And then at the end, verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. In this verse, we wrap it up quickly. David goes, David gives us this third reason for why God is the only one we can turn to, the only one we can put our confidence in. We travel down this uncertain path called life, and it's because God gives us the victory. There's a deliverance. And in these last verses, David, he again, he turns to prayer and he talks to the Lord about the things that were weighing him down, those who were plotting against him. But also, in these verses, there's this raw emotion being poured out. David, David talks to the Lord about these overwhelming feelings that came with the difficulties he was facing and that's important to me because I see in this that God not only cares about the, the circumstance you're in, but how you're feeling as you're going through it, your emotions. Your, 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 and David, I want to highlight them here because David speaks of this, but, the, but, but the, I think it's important to point out that David wouldn't mention these things to the Lord if he didn't believe that the Lord could help him, both in the circumstances and with the feelings that he had as he was going through it. And so as we close this psalm out, and look at what quote-unquote enemies David was facing. And I, I say it like that because the enemies that we face, the greater enemies are what's on the inside. The feelings that we're going through, the thoughts that we're having as we're living in the midst of the uncertainty. Right, guys? The battle can be waged more on the inside than it ever is on the outside. But in this, David is really asking God to help him, to conquer. And, and, and the thing we, we find is that these things are the things that we can relate to. So really quickly, I'm going I'm to highlight these things. Look at verse 15. The thing that David is really talking about here is danger. He's talking about the, the external circumstances. But he only mentions that one brief time in this verse. And what we know is that Satan is a destroyer. He is a murderer. He would trap us all if if he could. But if we are in God's will, what we know is he cannot harm us. So we look to the Lord. But out of that, one of the first things that David speaks about in the midst of this danger, in the midst of this net, this trap, whatever it is, in verse 16, he speaks of loneliness. That's something we can all relate to. Loneliness. And as we obey the Lord, guys, sometimes friends and family members, they're going to turn against us. It's painful. Loneliness is painful. David experienced this in many ways in his life. Loneliness. How about a broken heart? Verse 17, David speaks about having a broken heart, but the thing about it is brokenheartedness will want us to pull back. It'll it'll cause us to retreat, to guard ourselves, and, and, and kind of have this little pity party. A broken heart. And if we sit alone and feel sorry for ourselves, we're never going to grow in the Lord and we're never going to accomplish greater things for Him. And what the Bible tells us is that God can heal a broken heart if we give Him all the pieces and let Him have His way. Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as is a contrite spirit. Danger, loneliness, a broken heart. But look at verse 18. David also speaks of regrets. Man, that's a hard one regrets. Who has regrets? Yeah, especially when you're like, I regret doing this. Look at what it's got me. And you're in the midst of it. But regrets where you look back on your life and then your uncertainty of the future and you go, these regrets hold me back from calling out to God with confidence because we go, look at who I am and look at what I've done. Regrets. And David, he had regrets because of things that he had done in the past. And, and, and these regrets that he was feeling and regrets that we have, they can rob us of our peace and joy that God has for us in the moment. Remember, Satan's the accuser. And you know what he wants to bring up? Is these Regrets. And he wants to remind us of our sin, even though God has forgiven us. And Hebrews chapter ten, verses eleven through eighteen says that he holds them no more against us. How about fear? Fear. And we don't know again what the situation was here for exactly, but whatever it was, David feared for his life, and even more so, I think he, fe- he feared that he would fail and bring disgrace to the name of God, whom he loved. His enemies were increasing. And so was his fear, but he trusted in God to, to, to take care of both. How about despair? This is the last thing that we see David mention. Despair. And, and in verses 21, really, it's a prayer for preservation. And, and, and when you despair, it's this idea of all hope being gone. But yet David says, Lord, you preserve me. I wait on you. It also means I have hope in you, And to lose hope is to surrender to the future, is to surrender your future to the enemy. Hear this again today. If you're losing hope, you're surrendering your future to the enemy who only wants to destroy. The worship team wants to come up. There's two key things in this Scripture that we need to look at as we wrap it up. Verse 18, look, David says this, in the midst of all of this, In the midst of David mentioned all these enemies, those on the out and those on the inside, he says this, and forgive all of my sins. (laughs) It was as if David had recognized this. He says, I have enemies, God, out and on the in. My thoughts, my feelings, those outwardly, I have enemies and troubles. But David is saying, what he's saying is like, but none greater than my own sin. Guys, this is where it starts. The greatest enemy that we have is our own sin. Forgive me of all my sins. And so in the midst of this, David was saying, God, also deal with me. Deal with me. And one of the other perspectives that David has in this, I want to close with this, is this verse 22 that seems to be just like out of place, out of context. And, and someone like me goes, because I, I, if I was to write a poem, I would write it like this, especially like, I'm like, yes, A is for apple. And B is, you know, for boy. And you write this, really cool psalm and as and, and poem and you come to the last letter of the alphabet and you're like, how am I going to fit this in? Oh yeah, redeem Israel, the, the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet used here in this acrostic of it. But, it's not just attached as if David's trying to bring force something here. It's, it's a key that we need to understand. And it's remarkable that in the midst of what everything that David was going through, he was focusing on himself. He was speaking to God about what was going on, on the inside and on the outside. But even in the midst of this, what we see is that David's taking time to pray for the troubles of others, even when he was in the season of difficulty. That's what we see here. And the truth is, is when we're in uncertain times in our life, we can become self-consumed. And when does the Bible ever say that being consumed with yourself is the, the best thing to do? Never. Think about someone else. Do something for someone else. Pray about something for someone else. You see, one of the worst aspects in, uh, of difficulty and trial in the life of a believer for us is that it can lead us to become terribly self-focused, self-centered, and concerned only about our own problems. But that's not the life that God's called us to. And in David, in his humility and his reverence to God, was guided in a better way. Lord, redeem Israel. Redeem them out of all of their trouble to be others-minded, to have a heart for others, to not go through this life constantly consumed with ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of encouragement, these hopes that you've given us. Lord, we love you and we worship you. We lift our souls to you this morning. Praise and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand? Mm